Hi everyone, I'm Jessica Deruzza, and this is the Trust Psyche Podcast on astrology and depth psychology. I'm a psychotherapist, astrologer, and teacher, and you can find me at trustpsyche.com where you can begin studying astrology with me today. Thank you so much for being here with me. I really appreciate you, and I hope you enjoy this episode. So Jessica, I wanted to ask you a few questions about how you use astrology in your psychotherapy practice. Okay. I feel ready for that, I think. Right. <laughs> um, so, I mean, maybe mm-hmm. we want you to break it down for us. Do you, uh, do you want to just like take a concrete example and come in from the ground, or would you rather talk about it in a more broad way first? Well, it's a question that I get asked a lot, and I think I feel a little daunted to answer it because for some reason it feels mysterious, Hmm. even to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think I have to maybe go back to how this all happened so that I can understand what it is that's going on because I'm not even sure if I could fully articulate it. So this feels like an exploratory process to me. So when did you start using astrology in your psychotherapy practice? From the beginning, I imagine. Yeah, it was always there. It was never not there, which Mm -hmm. I think is unique. Um, So I, I discovered astrology in 2007, and I started giving professional readings really soon in 2008. And in 2011... I went to get my master's in counseling psychology with an emphasis in depth psychology from Pacifica in Santa Barbara. And I think the reason that's important to note is the reason why I became a psychotherapist, studied psychology, was so I could be the very best astrologer that I could be. What does that mean? It means that I realized after giving enough readings that what I was doing was counseling. And we were going to really deep places together. And I realized that what was happening, uh, I needed training around. Mm. So I never was planning to become a therapist. I never thought I'd be a therapist. I thought I'd only be an astrologer. What kind of things came up that prompted you in that direction? I remember the first time, it was within my first definitely 50 readings I ever gave. Um, I think those early readings are really impressionable. I think if you can look at your first 10, your first 25, your first 50, and your first 100 as these kind of holographic holons of, you know, what kinds of things you can expect in your practice, you know, within my first, I mean, it probably is more like 25, mm-hmm. person was actively suicidal. Wow. And we just sat there and talked about the whole time how they wanted to kill themselves. And I just remember sitting there and being like, okay, like I'm here, I'm present, I'm listening, I'm not judging, I have compassion. I did my best to just stay present and be with it. And um, they told me years later that um, that session helped them not do it. Hmm. I don't even know if I've taken that in. So I don't know if you can take that in. It's a big one. 
Um, and so ethically, I knew I needed help. I was in the deep end. Right. I was, I was born to do it. I mean, Pluto and Scorpio in the eighth house. Um, this definitely doesn't feel like my first rodeo. Mm-hmm. Um, as a soul. But this kind of works. So it's in there. But, yeah, I needed, like, professional guidance and structuring to help me. Because, no. yeah, I mean, that's just one example of countless examples. Um, I remember... I remember my first professional reading was a lesbian couple. And... I mean, my first reading was a sinistry reading. That's atypical. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was in person. We took a couple hours and we read each person's chart, which that was, you know, something I was experimenting with at the time, reading the charts in front of the other the partner and then doing the joint reading. And what ended up coming out of that session definitely changed the course of that couple's life. And I was like, oh, my God. I need training in working with couples. So you go to Pacifica. Yeah. To get your training. Four years after. I discover it three years after professional reading. So I was professional reading for three years before I hmm. started my master's. And at that time, I decided for the first year of school. At this point, I was a full, full on professional astrologer. I was teaching astrology. Um... I was TAing at California Institute of Integral Studies. Like, I was full on in, I feel like, mastery mode at that point. And I, it was, it didn't really feel like a choice. It felt like something that just had to happen that I then chose to do, which was I completely stopped giving readings. And I decided that the first year of grad school, I wouldn't read anymore. And I also wouldn't tell anybody that I was a reader, mm. that I would, that I was an astrologer. And I wanted to see who I could be and what my identity could be like if no one knew I was an astrologer. <coughs> Bless you. Thank you. So uh, did you find yourself still evaluating everything through the lens of astrology? Or I didn't did you look kind of at a single down? chart that entire year, mm. including my own. Wow. I decided I wasn't even going to look at my own transits. I needed to fully put it down so that I could be with the depth psychology and that I could go through what I experienced as a transfiguration process. I think what Pacifica offers and why I think it's a phenomenal program for masters in psychology for counseling is that every reading and every assignment in the first year you learn, you then have to apply to your own life. And if you do that right, that should change you for the course of the rest of your life. Mm. And so I wanted to treat it like a ayahuasca ceremony. Mm -hmm. I wanted grad school to be just like one big ayahuasca ceremony. Go deep. Go drink, all the way. Drink deep from the cup. Yeah, what, what else am I going to do? Wouldn't be your style to do it <laughs> <laughs> any other way. And so no one in my cohort, you know, it's a very intimate setting. You know right. all kinds of things about each other, trauma, history, and everything. But no one knew I was an astrologer. How about that? Did you reveal that eventually after you graduated? In the second year. Second year. I revealed it. That must have been a surprise. Yeah, I think I gave a reading to almost everyone in my cohort. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> after that. 
So, do you want to go now to how they started to fuse in your mind after the after the degree? Sure. Or do you want to bring the astrology back in? Sure. So at first, all my therapy clients were people that I'd given readings to, and they wanted to continue working with me. So I decided after I graduated in 2014 to take a break so I could assess what I wanted. And I said, I'm not going to be a therapist. And then after some wise counsel from you, you're like, I think you should. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I, uh, op- I started a private psychotherapy practice. And in that, everyone had come to me because of astrology. So I already had the person's buy-in with astrology. Mm-hmm. And what's true today is every person in my practice has come to me because I'm also an astrologer. And they've seen uh, one of a handful of videos on YouTube. Either the Chiron one, the Venus-Saturn one, uh, the Saturn-Neptune one. Like There's a handful of ones that people have seen. And everyone in my practice has seen one of those. And then they contact me. And that means that they're already into astrology. I mean, almost everyone in my practice either knows astrology, is an astrologer, or at least is open to it and interested in it and wants to hear what I have to say about it. Which I also think is unique. Absolutely. I mean, you embrace astrology as part of your public persona, and it seems like your clients, yeah, have encountered that. So... And a lot of them flat out want that, right? Yeah. That's one of the specific particular reasons that they want to work with you. So that you incorporate the astrology. Yeah, I think other, I think some uh, people are like, you know, I speak this language and I want my therapist to speak it too. Right. There's that part, which Mm -hmm. I get. And then there's the part of, well, I like, I like how you are, but I also like that you have this larger perspective or this cosmic perspective and Mm -hmm. we're connected to something bigger than us and our relationship right even if it stays a little bit in the background it's still holding us right yeah the astrology is a container uh, spiritual container metaphysical container psychological container shared worldview shared worldview it's holding us right Mm -hmm. it's about meaning it's about purpose it's about intelligence it's about everything happens for a reason it's all interconnected we're interconnected all right and the you know offering a model of compassion and understanding and empathy and relationality connection to self connection between us connection to the archetypes connection to their chart connection to the transits connected to our synastry it's all about weaving all the ways that we're connected mm-hmm. and looking at that and thinking about that um yeah so i think the way that it's used with each client is obviously client based some people use it every session some people use it a handful of times a year <laughs> mm-hmm. uh but it's always present it's always there it's always available i mean I, I let i let the client ask about it most of the time unless they explicitly say i'd like you to talk about this so i just i had their chart more or less memorized in my mind mm-hmm. and then you know i there can pretty easily in my head calculate the synastry or calculate their personal transits yeah i like um You've mentioned to me before how, yes, sometimes you're using the astrology out loud in the dialogue with the client, but sometimes you're just thinking about the underlying astrology and not necessarily speaking it out loud, but using it as a tool to understand what's going on because you have, 
each of your clients' charts memorized and you have that intimate eye for it and familiarity with their life and their patterns. At this point, it's safe to say that the majority of my astrological knowledge has come from sitting with the people I've worked with. And I have scribed dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of pages of notes, probably at this point, hundreds of pages Mm -hmm. of notes where I'm verbatim writing down the correlations of that's Mercury Saturn coming through. Oh, that's Moon Pluto coming through. Oh, that's Sun Neptune. Because we each speak it the most clear when you have it. Right. Or you're going through a transit of it. You're just a pure channel of it, whether you're conscious of it or not. Right. And so both my understanding, my language for it, my correlations, um, yeah, comes from working with folks. And that's why I think it's depth psychological is because it's coming from both my lens as a therapist, but also the intimacy of our relationship. I mean, I tend to work with people for years at a time. Yeah, I love how you sketched out this broad spectrum that on one end it can be, you know, the kind of container holding you both shared worldview of meaning, but it also, you know, can be very, you know, specific things that you're talking about directly with the client using or using yourself in the background. Could you... You think is now a good moment to give us an example of a specific intervention? Like, what might be a a way you would use the astrology or something that you would discuss with the client? Um, How would you use it concretely? Well, I think this is where it's important to bring in, you know, the awareness and sensitivity to naming the, you know, the the type of therapy that I do. If you had to put words to it, is psychodynamic, but it's attachment based. It's relational Mm -hmm. psychotherapy, and I call depth psychotherapy, but it's very much about um, creating uh, safety and trust between the client and myself and that takes time and that you know allows for other things to happen um, it can look so many different ways uh, but that for me that has to be there in order to then reference the chart because sometimes talking about astrology is very intellectual right. and it brings us into our head mm-hmm. and out of our heart or our body or our emotions. And I wouldn't want to ever do that. I mean, right. I'm sure that I do do that sometimes. Right. But I'm actually very consciously trying not to do that. Right. So I wouldn't bring the astrology in if like we were emotionally processing something or, you know, in a place of trauma or tenderness, unless the client either explicitly ask for it or I think naming something astrologically is going to be healing in that moment. And then I would maybe bring it in and say, well, of course, that's your son, Neptune. You love to merge. Like, yeah, that's who you are. Like, let's slow down and Mm -hmm. take that gently and have like a lot of compassion there for yourself. Like, yeah. Isn't that so beautiful that you can let go of your ego enough to commune with another person? Mm. That's a beautiful quality. That's also something we need to protect because we want to make sure that that person is a person that's safe to give all of yourself to in that way and, you know, have that profound psychic connection. So let's understand that that's who you are and that that's beautiful and then let's make sure we're taking care of that part of yourself. What does it need to feel safe? 
instead of pathologizing it mm-hmm. or trying not to make it happen or making it wrong in some way. So that'd be like one one thing that could happen, like to affirm that person's soul constitution, right. this life. Right. And understanding the light and the shadow of it and then having empathy for both expressions and understanding how they are interconnected, right? You can't have one without the other. You can't you can't be open hearted and not get hurt. Right. That's not how it works. Yeah, that makes me think about this other uh, connected part that just just the fact of seeing your tendency to merge reflected in the archetypal, you know, signature of your natal chart is, you know, affirming that that's part of your constitution and part of your soul's journey this lifetime. And it's not, you know, it's neither an accident nor like something you need to work harder on to not merge. You know, it's, it's neither, you don't have to feel like it's your fault because you're making bad choices. And you also don't have to feel like a victim that like, oh, it's just happening by accident. I think just seeing it, you know, written there and reflected by the cosmos validates the tendency and yeah maybe maybe you know then helps create a little bit more space for what you're saying to like okay so let's take care of it and if it's there and it's supposed to be there then we just need to tend to it to make sure that it finds healthy expression yeah that's where there's really the merging or the synthesis of my astrological understanding if i understand the combinations and how they express themselves and what they need and where they're going you know i have very intimate relationship with these beings like we're very deep in you know 14 plus years of just full devotion combined with the psychological understanding of of psyche of 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 being human right that's your training in psychology but then i also under uh, I, i synthesize that understanding of psyche and understanding the psyche of each combination right each planet has a psyche Mm-hmm. Each combination is a psyche, and I understand those psyches. And so when the human psyche is participating in that, I can say, yeah, some Pluto has a thirst and a hunger for life right. that sometimes can be compulsive and obsessive. I get it. Yeah, there's that part of you. Okay, here it is. And I love when you talk about, um, yeah, in, in line with this, talking about the archetypes having a psyche of their own and, and bringing healing to those psyches too. and. Mm. You know, you've mentioned before, we were talking about Saturn-Neptune the other night. You're like, no, the archetype itself actually heals when people who have that are able to experience healing themselves. You know, in you were talking about uh, Saturn-Neptune people, like, feeling like they had to, you know, choose between... Science or religion or the rational or a faith. Yeah, the metaphysical or the body. Um, and when, when those people actually, you know are able to see a really healthy expression um, of the metaphysical becoming embodied or of the body, you know, carrying the divine soul. Something heals inside of them and their healing helps the archetype itself to heal. Yeah, that's part of, I think, the human's power in relationship to the divine. And that's what we mean by participatory is that it's through us, you know, we're saying that through us, the universe knows itself. Well, mm. it's, it's through us, psyche knows itself, and the gods and goddesses know themselves, but it's more than knowing themselves, it's knowing themselves, it's connection. In the sense of, you, see, you know, religion is to bind back, to bind back to the archetypes, so the archetypes to bind back to themselves. Um, they become fragmented, they forget, they go into uh, amnesia just like humans do. Mm. 
um, in this realm, at least. Mm. And so when their expressions come through in the world in a way that's distorted or fragmented um, or where there's pain there, the human can play a powerful role of facilitation of healing that through themselves. And that's our offering back to the divine is reconnecting noose and fusus. Right. I love that. I'm seeing it like, no, the, the person is in a relationship with the archetype, you know, in the psyches on each side have been hurt when there is a, you know, unclear, distorted expression of the archetype and both, you know, the person who feels they need to choose between science and faith, you know, and the archetype that's been distorted by being depicted as a split between science and faith, both have been hurt and the relationship needs to be healed. And when, you know, the person is able to, you know, see through that dualism and see them as part of an integrated whole, that helps to heal the relationship. And on the other end, the psyche of the archetype too is put into right relationship. Yeah, the way that I've been holding healing right now through um, my therapist, you know, who's a great teacher to me, a great model, I'm so grateful, um, is that really healing is a lot about just what needs attention. It's just about our attention. It's about bringing attention to wherever it is that's needing it and humans need attention we all need attention no matter who we are and um, there's places in our psyche that need attention and that just naturally arises and when we're with those feelings of either being hurt or sad or angry they bring us back to ourselves we can choose to use that energy to put it out sometimes that's necessary but often if we choose to bring it back home to ourselves through the anger or the hurt, the resentment, um, we come home to ourselves and we give ourselves what we need, which is paying attention to something that's just needing something. And so for me, the archetypes have that too, they must. I think our mm. relationship, I think the human psyche it has to be in part based off of the archetypal psyche, right? The archetype psyche. Um, so, and I do see, I do see that happen, I mean, we were talking earlier about um, memory and how mm. transits and places in the the zodiac positions in the zodiac for each of us hold memory, and that's what diachronic patterning is. It's the memory of the previous transit, and then when that next transit comes in, uh, in the same place or in the same uh, configuration, there's a memory of the last time and the time before that, and the time before that that it was here, and we're picking up that story from where it left off and that story is a story of being in relationship with the archetypes and the different interpenetrating relationships with that that whole pantheon i think too having the synastry of the client and the therapist i think and you have to be a really skilled therapist to do this and have a particular cosmology to have this orientation which is really important I think for us to talk about what that cosmology looks like is that, um, for example, with one of my clients, um, my Jupiter's conjunct their Venus, and I can see that part of our karma, our, my karmic relationship with them is to support them and celebrate them in their art. And I naturally want to do that. There's a natural affinity for me to support them in their art and as an artist. And our synastry helps illuminate and elucidate what 
some of my role there is. Why are they with me versus somebody else? Hmm. And so the synastry shows us part of our karmic blueprint with every human, but in the therapeutic relationship, what is it that I'm here to help bring attention to and in, and in what manner, given how my chart is touching their chart? Right. And vice versa. Of course, it goes both ways. Right. In what way are you medicine for them and what way are they medicine for you? Mm-hmm. Like every deep karmic relationship. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so interesting to hear you break all this down for us. Mm, it's fun for me to talk about it. I can feel, you know, we're just scratching the surface here and there's, there's more to it and I'm not really sure how to articulate it yet, but... I think that, you know, the longer I work with someone and the more we understand each other, know each other, and feel comfortable with one another, the more psychic the relationship becomes, right? Because we're both more open, and so there's more points or channels of connection. It's more multidimensional, more multivalent, right? More synchronicities happen, more points of connection, which is healing. And, um, of course, that takes time. But when that happens, I think there's something really incredible where the chart becomes really alive. And I can hear it in the person more clearly and I can speak to it implicitly and, and explicitly. And it just feels like the archetypes are like right there with us mm-hmm. riding, riding the wave of the journey. And they just come in and like sometimes I say it out loud and sometimes I don't. But it's just vibrating like really strong really clearly i can just see it and i can feel it and i can hear it and i can you know taste it yeah i mean that that makes me feel like okay part of the work uh client and therapist are doing in the room is almost like chakra tuning in this Mm. way it's like clearing the channel like letting the archetypes speak through more clearly you know and just yeah, clean, you know, cleaning, cleaning up how the energetic expression is coming through and being curious and tending to it so that it can come through in a way that feels good for that archetype, you know, and is gives it its due and honors it and helps it find clear expression. That that's healthy. That's like taking care of our psyche, the care of the soul mm. is bringing attention in that way mm. to the way the archetypes are manifesting through us. Mm, yeah, there's a clearing... And then there's a coming home, there's an honoring, there's an acceptance, right? There's a noticing, there's an acceptance, there's an integration, there's a becoming. Um, greater permission for the soul to live its unique expression through this chart and the affirmation, right? That this is who you are and this, yes, you know, this is exactly what is meant to be happening. Right. And this is how I see you showing up with that you know which is often very hard and very painful and it's it's a struggle right it's 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 work um and i think to have another person there with you saying yes keep going Mm -hmm. i see you right you know and i see how this is you in the chart like there's i think there's just something extra meaningful and powerful about that But, yeah, I also think it's deeply metaphysical, right? Because, like, the way that I'm holding the relationship and the process of of discovery and healing is rooted in my metaphysics, which is very astrological. Right. Right? So the astrology 
and the way I understand my cosmology through astrology being real and really sitting deeply with that philosophically. Right. Has a big way of how I conduct myself as a therapist and the way that I understand and make meaning or make sense of what my clients are going through. Right. So, so let's flesh that out. What are some of um, the tenets of your metaphysics that come out of astrology that then ha have a, a big effect in the room? Like I, what would come to mind for me is the belief that someone chooses their chart, for yes. example. Yes, exactly what was coming to mind. chooses many tendencies that are present in their psyche. Yeah. So break that <laughs> yeah. down for us. How, yeah. Yeah, okay. So if you have certain tendencies, which we all do, these patterns or dynamics that we're in in our life, I can see that in the chart, and I have an understanding of why it's that way, you know, based on what I know about the planets, how they mm -hmm. work together. And then... I can help point out the way that that's happened in the past and make meaning of it. And then I can help bring understanding to other ways that I know that that could also be channeled or manifested. Can we, can we uh, pick a combination as an example? And sure. A... Sure. Uh, Mercury-Pluto, for example, can sometimes be... Um, in its challenging form, or what we call its shadow form, um, compulsive uh, thinking and talking, mm -hmm. uh, that's tendency for obsession. So obsessive thinking, obsessing over things over and 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 over again. Right. Pluto is life force. It's your energy, which is finite. So when you're obsessing over things and it's turning in circles but not actually spiralically moving and transforming right. in the death rebirth process of what Pluto is, then something's stuck there. Spinning your wheels. You're spinning your wheels. So how can we, when the time is right, unlock that obsessive energy and move it into another expression of Mercury-Pluto, which is someone who's deeply in touch with their thoughts and their ideas and their mind and they're empowered to speak their voice or they find other channels other than the mercury tendency to be analytical pluto is nature and it's mm -hmm. wild and so mercury pluto can also be the voice of nature mm -hmm. and the part of the way that it can express itself is through things like chanting or drumming right other forms right. of expression that aren't verbal and analytical and irrational which is where mercury pluto can sometimes get obsessive is trying to figure everything out right instead of surrendering and opening to the channel of mm. nature which is elemental and primordial to come through i love how what you're saying is both descriptive and prescriptive it's like identifying the archetype allows you to describe what's going on psychologically there for the person but it doesn't stop there it also gives you avenues to prescribe something like chanting or just some understanding of okay this archetype needs to come through differently so the same thing that lets us understand what's going on yeah, gives you know, suggests possibilities for how the energy could come through differently well typically when there's obsession there's an unmet need and when we discover what that unmet need is it's usually the permission to express one's voice in some way that was shamed hmm. uh, early in life in a way that often feels um, abusive or tyrannical, right? There's an abuse of power mm -hmm. um, by someone who had it, and therefore your voice feels powerless. 
and there's a compensation in that. So sometimes Mercury Pluto become overly intellectualized as a compensation for feeling stupid or dumb, inferior, inadequate mm -hmm. because they were told that or made to feel that way. Right. And so sometimes that can lead to obsessive thought patterns or overly trying to figure things out at that expense or atrophy of what another expression of that could be. And usually there's a need in there to express differently. If we discover what that is, we can unlock that reshift that energy towards that thing which actually feels more fulfilling it's not because it's better or it's right and the other thing's wrong it's just because there's like more that that soul is wanting to express than it is and usually That's in right. a different mode than it is and so i mean to add another level i'm sure you then witness like a transit going over someone's natal mercury pluto that then kicks up these issues Yes. And so you see this as a, t as a timing lens as well. Yes. That definitely has a huge part of what comes up when, right? We're not, we're not in control of that. Like we're not in charge of what emerges from our unconscious and our psyche. Like that's not up to us. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the transits help give the meaning of the timing of why now, right? And that's also very helpful too. Like why now? Why is this happening mm. now? Well, actually it makes sense it's happening right now. And this is what came before, and this is what's going right. to come after, and let's put it into context. Um, Isn't that so interesting that then you could precisely say, well, let's look back to the last time, you know, this this was transit was activated, mm. what was happening then, mm. and make sense of, over time, mm. this memory, you know, this is a clear example of this memory and diachronic patterning you were talking about generally earlier. Mm. Mm. Sometimes Mercury-Pluto people can over-talk, but what happens is, is if, because again, we have to think of it, Pluto as life force, and that's limited, right? right? So if you talk a lot, and then you realize, wait, I wanna, I'm a writer, I want to write, but it's the, the verbalization's going into arguments right. uh, with whomever, and so you're always fighting. So you're using that life force energy to fight. So then, therapeutically, if you learn to stop fighting, which needs to be modeled to you and takes time, right, to unlearn that, habit that was usually modeled to us by our parents um then you stop fighting as much and all of a sudden you're writing a lot and you've always wanted to write and you always yeah. thought you were a writer but you never wrote because you were always fighting this is an example Love it. yeah so it's just redirecting the soul to what it wants in its next phase of evolution. And that can look like anything. It's very mm -hmm. open-ended. And that's why I think the astrology helps ground the therapeutic relationship, at least for me. Um, you know, that being said, uh, my therapist doesn't use astrology with me. So I don't think in any way is it necessary or makes you the best therapist or something like that, right? Uh, that's a whole, I think, a whole other discussion. But my point is, is that what matters the most is the energy and the mindset that you're bringing as a therapist mm -hmm. to your work. And perhaps if astrology is one of your love languages, then maybe it could be a way for you to connect with your client. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't have to be. Well, I love how you've illustrated how so much happens with the frame itself and the worldview just just by the astrology being there in the background, you know, that has a certain effect on how you 
approach the situation, even if you never talk about astrology at all. I have to think that even just the fact that you've thought through your medical metaphysical assumptions by thinking through something like astrology is so is so valuable. Well, I mean, just if you think astrology is real, and then you think about what it took on a physical level for those planets to form and get into those orbital periods around the sun so that our astrology and our math or geometry could work then that means the intelligence of astrology has been at play Mm. for billions of years it's not like oh this just happened recently this was intentionally formed in some kind of way that I don't think we understand as intentionality or intelligence, by the way, when we speak of the intelligence of the universe. I don't, I think our human mind has like 0.01% understanding <laughs> of that. But my point is, is that there is an intelligence there that's been there from the beginning, from Genesis, and that the emergent process of the physical world has encoded into it these right. archetypes. It's just built into the it's very fabric built of being. in from the beginning. It's from the beginning. Right. So that means that it's always been there. It's ancient. And so therefore, our metaphysics needs to reflect that. Right. I have to have profound respect for how you are built. Because it goes back to the beginning of time. It's, it's quite it's quite literally God before you. It is it is the divine when you see that one's personality is a reflection of their uh, natal chart of the arch- divine archetypes. You're meeting the divine in front of you every time you meet a person. And I think we could stay with that some more, you know, because when we talk about metaphysics, sometimes that also feels so mysterious, but that's one, one example. You know, another is um, I mean, okay, you know, the, the reason why eclipses work, right? That the moon, which is so close to us and small, and then the sun, which is so far away and gigantic, that they can appear to be the same size from here on Earth at these certain moments of these eclipses, right? Yeah, and I mean, all, all the time that we see them, they appear to be the same size. The sun's 400 times larger, but it also happens to be 400 times further away. If you just take in that alone, you're trying to then tell me that any of this is random or an accident do i think that every part is omnipotent and pre-known no but i don't think those two things have to go together i actually think that the emergent process of consciousness is happening in real time with the evolution of the physical world but there's consciousness in the physical world are so one they're so unified and imminent that the emergent process is literally happening at the same time so what i mean by that is yeah from the beginning astrology was there but that doesn't mean that the universe already knew everything that was going to happen 
Yeah. It's discovering it literally right now, now, yeah. now, now, now. But it's all there in potentia coming out. Right. We are the we are the blossom of the cosmos, like flowering for the first time. But it was all in potentia in the seed, you know. But it's it is the very moment of flowering, you know, perpetually. Yeah, and so it's a process of discovery and remembrance in that blossoming, but it's also a process of discovery in that blossoming, right. in the newness of that expression. And I believe that each and every single one of us has a certain a hand to a certain degree in that blossoming. Absolutely. Right? And so I don't think that like when something blossoms is up to us, but I do think how it blossoms is up to us. And that's where for me participating with what is that I have to trust the timing of those transits that were set into place, uh, not only at the moment of my birth, but from literally the beginning of time. Like what's happening right now has been sequentially through cause and effect set into motion. There is a very long history here and a very long story that I am in the middle of waking up to every moment and if i can hold that and have respect for that then that naturally allows me to have have trust and faith in where it's moving to next which gives me courage and gives me power and gives me the ability to play and take risks and try new things to see where this is heading because that's fun absolutely where it can be i mean it harkens what you're saying harkens to just this primal creativity that is the fabric of things you know it's it's on you know it's unfolding in this way that it's all stitched together as one fabric and yet it's never you know unfurled into into the air in this way and we we have agency in how it moves and the the bit of fiber that we are in this divine fabric we act from and we 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 pull and any pull upon you know the mm. fabric of being affects every other piece and even if in some small way mm. yeah i mean i think the other main part of my healing journey right now is choice mm. right when you say agency we have choice and right. I, we have a lot more choices than we realize and so part of therapy well, i think what it helps naturally do is it helps us wake up to places where we have felt powerless because mm. of what's happened to us, mm. right? And we wake up to actually, there's, we have choice there, which gives us our power back to know that we could actually make a different choice than one, the one that we've been making, which sounds so simple, but actually if it was, then none of us would have any fucking problems or pain. <laughs> but, but every person I've ever met has both of those things. So... We need each other to help us remember that we have choice, that we have agency, that there's possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but that takes time. <laughs> right. And it seems like astrology is especially helpful in exteriorizing certain things so that we can identify some of these patterns mm-hmm. where, yes, we have a choice, but we tend to keep doing the same mistakes over again and get locked into these patterns. And it feels like the astrology helps exteriorize it in a way so that maybe we can identify this these patterns a little a little better yeah i hope it both helps 
bring psyche outside of us and for us to be able to look at it and its personification through something like dramatic distancing or, mm-hmm. you know the same way we would view a film or read a novel right. right we get to see psyche and our psyche and aspects of our life portrayed in this film or in this novel and that distance and that perspective gives us insight and sometimes the ability to better relate right and to see to, uh, distance too on how people choose the decisions they make the consequences of those decisions the different outcomes and, and doing something differently timelines possibility mm-hmm. yes and we need that shown to us and that helps us in our imagination to be able to imagine a different reality for right. ourselves we need to be modeled that like that's also part of the human condition that i think Um, we have largely become unconscious to, which is everything that we each individually experience is because that's been created by the collective. It's a collective experience. And so therefore what that means is literally the way that we think and we act is the most contagious thing on this planet because Mm -hmm. we model. I mean, the thing that's (laughs) uh, more contagious than... Uh, a pandemic is human consciousness and human unconsciousness hmm. uh, so uh, the fact that we need to be shown that something another way is possible right. speaks loudly to the ethics of how we need to then be treating one another hmm. because our actions will always speak louder than our words period right and every moment we're modeling for one another at least implicitly you know how you want the world to be what what you would want the world you live in to be like Mm. yeah do you want it to be kind and compassionate understanding fun playful adventuresome reflective (laughs) self-reflective other other curious (laughs) right you know not so narcissistic being able to hold multiple perspectives and realities at once Right, I mean, it's the, the be the change you want to see in the world kind of thing. But then just reflecting on, yeah, and when you, t- when you don't keep that in the forefront of your mind, but you're still modeling, you know, reality to people, if you're, you know, stuck in victim consciousness or if you're, you know, pissed off all the time, you're, you're making the world that way. You are the change you want to see in the world. You're, you know, creating that reality around you, giving others permission to do the same. I think that's one of the deepest truths of entering into therapy is when we inevitably go back in time and look at our childhood and look at our parents and understand what happened in those deeply formative relationships in our life. Um, We oftentimes go through periods of anger and depression and resentment for what was done or what Mm -hmm. wasn't done. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, we realize that we have a choice. To do it how we want to do it given the pain that we've gone through and we can either continue to act out of that place either being like them or even in our rejection or reaction to them we are still being defined by them the thing that we are you know in some way uh railing against uh in our in our in our rage and under that our grief and under that our our powerlessness and under that our sadness our aloneness, um, that we realize that the way to change transgenerational trauma is by with our ancestors and with our parents and the gifts that they also 
carry. And if we cannot see that and we can only see their shadow, there is a problem there for us. Uh, it is with our ancestors that we make those changes that those that came before us in their own right were limited to do. And in through that, we become different by the way that we not only react and respond to our parents, but all those other relations that we have in our life with our partner, with our children, with our family, with our friends. Uh, and that's how consciousness changed. It's, it's not some grand mysterious thing. It's actually very simple, very basic, very close to home. Uh, but we, we often want to make it something bigger because I think how close to home it is is so tender and so vulnerable that it's actually much scarier to live from that place. Mm -hmm. It makes me think about that saying that we say sometimes that responsibility isn't the truth. It's a place to stand. And you, you, you wake up in the thick of things, you know, you wake up, life is already underway, you know, when one becomes conscious and as we grow and become more conscious, it's still already underway. And there's always going to be ways in which we didn't get a fair shake, you know, because things were already happening and we were thrown into it in the middle of the story. Um, and we all share that. And we all share that. We all share that. You know, and it's, and it's not to say that people don't have various levels of misfortune. Absolutely. Different but, levels of trauma to work with. Absolutely. But when we choose to take responsibility and acknowledge the agency that we do have, some, something shifts and, and it's, it's responsibility in the sense of taking responsibility. I always, I also think about it in terms of like, how are you going to respond to life? You know, you're, you are the one who responds. You have the remote, you know, how do you choose to respond? Do you choose to take responsibility, control what you can and, you know, be the change you want to see in the world and try to try to do what you can? Yeah. Or, you know, or do you, or do you just, do you feel like you're a, you know, I'd hate to feel like a, just a, some total of a series of accidents, you know, is, is my life. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a territory that gets, um, you know, a little, a little edgy, a little sensitive, but, um, I think we can go there. We have been, and it's very helpful. I think to think of it like this, like the truth is, is every single one of us has been victimized mm. in some way. But that doesn't mean any one of us is a victim, right? So mm. when we identify the sum total of who we are with being victimized and we become a victim, the crazy irony or paradox of the way that life works is then you enact victimization, which means you bring in people who continue to want to abuse you mm. because there has to be a perpetrator on the other end of right. being victimized. And so we reenact and we all do this because we're because that's because it's modeled to us. You know, that's that's how this works. Right. The, the good things and, and the hard things. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like it's it's value neutral. Mimesis is value neutral. You know, so uh, and it's and it's human. We all share this. It's so important to remember this. We all share this. And the second we try to compare, which we all also do and say, well, my suffering's worse, or my suffering isn't as bad, we immediately separate mm -hmm. ourselves and allow for greater propensity for 
victim perpetrator dynamics mm. because of that hierarchy of measuring suffering, which at the end of the day can't be done. Hmm. Because it's entirely subjective and universal. Paradoxically, at the same time, some of us do experience more trauma than others and to greater degrees. So I'm holding both of those truths simultaneously. Hmm. And I think inherent in my cosmology is holding paradox and stretching my heart and my mind to be able to hold paradox. I know that I'm growing as a human and as a therapist when I'm able to hold greater and greater and greater levels of paradox. Um, Most simply put, right now, really holding that in couples where there's been infidelity, right? And being able to hold the paradox of holding both the betrayer and the betrayed. If I can do that there, then I can do that in other places, even intrapsychically in your internal family system of your internal perpetrator and your internal victim. And I can hold both of those together and I'll facilitate a a dialogue and a relationship of connection to start happening, which eventually equalizes the positionality out of the hierarchy, which the victim perpetrator is based upon, Hmm. back into an equanimity that allows a flow with through that clearness there's less distortion greater harmony and balance and therefore more truth that can come through which usually the soul experiences as fulfillment and growth and reward um, for going through the suffering as part of the meaning of why we go through the suffering is then something in the soul or in the archetypal combination can open up to a greater capacity through holding that paradox Jung calls it the transcendent third is allowed to emerge out of that place which is a completely novel and new place and which is evolution's natural driving force and imperative I love it Jessica thanks for allowing for the space for that to to come through I just just, you know I need a lot of space sometimes and kind of being warmed up Mm -hmm. you know to Mm -hmm. let it out so thanks for all the awesome foreplay here oh absolutely (laughs) I just, I just love how you always continue to stay with the affect and stay with the relationship, and you never, yeah, you never commit the sin of like allowing the astrology to like pull you out into a real mental system or tying it all nicely up in a bow. Um, I just feel feel you here how you like you bring the astrology in at the appropriate moment and you don't get like trapped in the system of symbols. I do thank you for seeing that in that in me. I do try my very best. I will have to say I'm human, so I I do probably do that, right? I think I do do that. But I hear what you're saying, you know, that I'm I'm I am very consciously devoted to not doing that as much right. as possible. And when I do do that, you know, I can feel it. I'm like, oh, oops, oopsie doopsie. And then I tr- if I can, and if it's appropriate, I'll try to name it. Like, I know this is a little intellectual right now, or maybe mm. I just overly intellectualized. Oh, was there too many words there? Like, I'm sorry, checking in, right? right? Sometimes right. words are very helpful, and intellectualizing yeah. is very helpful. Um, so ultimately, it's a checking in process. But I, I do want to, I do want to say, thank you for seeing that in me because it is something I'm, I am striving very hard for. And it's hard, you know. <laughs> it's hard to do. And it's extremely important, and I just think it's it's this moment too where the where the psychology comes back and helps the astrology. You know, it's, I think when we mm. first entered this conversation, we we're saying, well, how does astrology help you do psychology? Yeah. But I think in this moment, yeah, the psychology is showing the astrology. No, this is how you keep your eye on the prize. This is what you know we're actually trying to shift and work with. 
Mm. Don't, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Don't lose the tree in the forest, you know? It's like, stay with that particular. Well, you know, in coming, you know, coming out of the lineage of archetypal astrology and depth psychology, which were always one, right? I mean, this is, you know, definitely something that uh, I, I got from Rick. And it's, you know, it's hard for me to talk about the things that I got from Rick because unfortunately our personal relationship did not end well by any means. And yet I'm constantly needing to do what I do with my own parents around my healing is like, what are the really beautiful things that I got? Which is a hard thing to do, you know, when there's been hurt or there's been pain. And, you know, I'm still in the process of working that through. It's going to take time. But I can say that I'm so grateful to Rick, you know, for the way that he always held astrology and psychology Mm -hmm together as one thing which comes from you know his own lineage uh with Jung so you know it goes further back and it goes back to Rujar when I get to that place it feels really good right when I go back to Rujar I'm super happy um and feeling clear but that's because he's very far away and I had no personal relationship with him right Mm -hmm. so it's easy for him to not be um like a human to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, well, he can just be. He can just be yeah, his teachings. Figure, his teachings. He can be his teachings. Right. He, you don't have a personal relationship with him, right? So those two things can't be dissonant with one another, right? And you know, it it it, it was Rick who said, you know, you want to be, you you really want to be an astrologer, you need to go to school for, you know, counseling psychology, which you know he did not do himself, right? right? But he realized that that needed to be done, and so a handful of us who studied closely with him took that seriously and actually did that and i think he's right if you want to be a professional counseling astrologer you do need therapeutic training of some kind that's right and that can look a lot of different ways and i don't think that has to be a master's degree by any means right um but anyways just going back you know it's like um at the heart of trust psyche the the intention is to weave back together astrology and psychology mm-hmm. and my therapeutic practice my, my private practice is one vessel and channel for me to embody that as a living prayer of one way that I think that that could look and so I'm doing my best to actually do it and live it in good Saturn Neptune fashion to embody the dream or embody the vision mm-hmm. to the best of my, <laughs> you know, ability to do so, right. right? And then the way that I teach and hold astrology, I'm also that's another channel that I am attempting to do that. And then our relationship is another mm-hmm. channel where I'm seeking to live that with you and, and right. of course our daughter. So I'm doing my best. And this definitely come up, comes out of Rujar's work of the astrology of transformation, which is um, life is a ritual. And when we remember that life is a ritual, that means everything that we do within our life, including our routines and how we are in our relationships, is our ritualistic offering back over to not only humanity, but the divine. Right. To one another and to source. What intention, what attitude do we bring to everything that we do? Really is a ritual and this very much is about what your uh, both your master's thesis and your doctoral dissertation ultimately was about through the route of philosophy and 
religion and that history was understanding participation and what does that actually look like in the evolution of human consciousness and you map that out uh, beautifully right when you participate you are the living reflection of the archetypes I mean you are one way or another but right this story of human consciousness waking up to its own divine body and thereby participating in this this blossoming of the archetypes hmm. What you were saying a moment a uh, moment ago just uh, made me think about the dimension of how you are being transformed by your clients too in mm-hmm. doing this work, and how you know doing the work with them also shows up as medicine for you. Absolutely. And I mean, in each of the, in each of the, the venues that you described in our own relationship and those relationships in your in your role as teacher too, it's a two it's a two way street, and you're being you're being transformed by the process even you know even the role as a teacher which perhaps looks most like that you're handing down a teaching it's like oh no it's still this two-way street i think it's one of the best ways any person can deal with some of the shadow sides of the hot of the innate hierarchy of power that there is between therapist client or teacher and student mm. which is um humbling myself and 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 remembering you know, that I am here to also transform and grow and heal. And that's why I do what I do. Like, this is ultimately why I pursued astrology was because there's a limitless path of self-reflection and growth. That's why I love it. It's endless. I need that. Right. Because I'm thirsty for life. And that's the divine literally speaking through your clients to you, you know. And, And this is the part of giving astrology readings that you you know, cued me into so much over over the years. It's like, no, the client is medicine. Like you were like you were saying before about your early readings. You know, there's there's messages there for you. But every reading, you know, that's the divine. You know, speaking to the astrologer as well. And what combinations and issues show up in that person's life are an oracle for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, think about all the readings I ever did for a Venus-Pluto person mm-hmm. and, and getting to have the privilege to understand what their process was like. And then when I go through that transit, mm-hmm. I have all this knowledge and data that mm-hmm. I get to, you know, reflect on um, because I had the privilege of getting to understand what that person who lives with that every day goes through, right? And so... It's wisdom. It's like instant wisdom, you know. Right. We, we talk about instant karma, you know, it's instant wisdom. It's just like, oh, my God, I just got this incredible download. I still have to do the work of the heavy lifting of going through the embodied motions of the transit. Mm-hmm. But thank the heavens, literally, that I have this incredible map. I have these timelines of possibility. I have the imagination. I've had something modeled to me. I can see what's possible. You know, I can see what I want and I don't want. I can align myself with that. Um, through prayer and intention um, and, and, and speaking out loud to you and other loved ones who then can help keep me in check around it, right? Mm-hmm. There's all these ways that I can resource myself to then go live into that transit because of the people that I got to learn directly from. Right. And, uh, you know, and no matter how well we're doing and how hard we try, we still, you know, fall asleep sometimes or we still, like, yeah. don't want to face something. And, you know, you get that third client in a row that has this combination, you know, and you're like, is there something that I'm not addressing here? And just the way that Psyche knocks, and, mm. you know, and 
wakes us back up to ourselves if you know yeah if we can remain aware enough to listen yeah when we fall asleep right not Mm -hmm. if when we fall asleep yeah when we fall asleep as we fall asleep as we all do uh psyche knocks and if we can within our 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 mental space and in our our worldview hold that psyche is going to knock when we fall asleep because it's there to help wake us up again like a good mother in the morning it's okay sweetie it's time to get out of bed right it's time it's a facilitation and it's a loving space holding that the universe does for us and it feels more loving (laughs) the more we listen and the less we listen, I think the less loving it feels. They start banging on it's the like, door. It's like, boom, 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 shakalaka. You're like, ah, oh, fuck. Oh. Um, Knocking politely didn't work. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, oh, there was one other thing. Oh, one other thing in there. Um, mm, yeah, I just wanted to say one other thing about the uh, the relationship of the therapist and the client or the uh, astrologer and the client is um, I've always had a very visceral aversion to anyone saying that they do this because they want to help people. Mm. It's always bothered me. Mm. I remember the first day of grad school, everyone had to go around and you had to say why you were there. And I like three-fourths or more of the people said, because I want to help people. And I was like, God, we're fucked. No, a lot of them are amazing therapists who I love dearly. But um, I don't do this because I want to help people. And it's a nuance. Mm -hmm. It's a nuanced thing. But I think it comes back to that it's mutual. We're on a journey together. We're both learning. We're both growing. We're both healing. You know, I'm going to end with this. Is... um, the other day we were around a beautiful bonfire outside at the beach under the stars. It was so romantic. We were there with a lot of folks. And we happened to be there with this family um, who the, the mother, father, and then their two kids. And the, the daughter is 23 and the son 17. And they were all together for the first time in a very long time. And we were just in a really relaxed environment. You were singing music and playing the guitar. And I remember at one point it came out uh, that the younger brother had an easier time than the older sister. And the mom was kind of just saying, well, you know, you used to sneak behind our backs to do things and your brother would ask, you know, so we'd give it to him. And then the daughter, the older daughter said, well, where do you think he learned how to do that from? From watching what it was like with me, he learned from me from, you know, the things that I went through and made mistakes around mm-hmm. and then did differently. And then, you know, the daughter was like, you know, I'm the oldest. It was, you know, it was my first time. It was the, it was the first time. And what I thought the mother was going to say back was, it was my first time too. Mm-hmm. And I would have thought, that's it right there. That is a humbling honest joining together of Hmm. you know what it was both our first times wasn't it Uh, it was my first time being a mom i didn't know either right i think that like it diffuses the power dynamic in this way instead of you know i'm the mom so i must know everything it's like no i you know i'm making this up too so i'm not on top and 
you know, same thing, two-way street with the teacher-student, with the therapist, you know, if you can diffuse that power dynamic, something mutual comes out that helps to avoid the, the worst parts of, of the hierarchical thing that's going on there. Yeah, I mean, it's inevitable we hurt each other. That just happens in any relationship, no matter how healthy or, or mature or conscious it may be, we hurt each other. And so when one person is expressing that they're hurt, when it's possible for the other to, to not be defensive and instead be curious and say, oh, I hurt you, mm. and own it as a place of responsibility, as mm -hmm. a place to stand, not because it's right or wrong, but because you want to be connected and have understand. I hurt you. Oh, okay, I didn't mean to hurt you. How did I hurt you? Let me understand that. Oh, I totally get why that hurt you. Let's Let's be with that together. Yeah, caring about connecting more than being right. Yeah, yeah. You always said that to me when we first got together because I cared more about being right. <laughs> <laughs> Shadow side of Capricorn. Oh. What can I say? But I've worked on it a lot. You've worked on it a lot. Thanks to you. You're a good motivation. I was like, actually, I really like you and I want to stay connected to you. So, Most of the time you are right. But... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. That makes it harder, not easier. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much for thank you, Jessica, being here for with me. Breaking that down and going inside of it for us. It really so cool. helps me to just have you here and like ask me questions. And It's a beautiful form of intimacy for me and a creative process where I get to open up parts of myself that I can't access otherwise. So it's a true gift to me. Thank you so much. We're always better in relationship. <laughs> we are dreamed into existence. What we do with that dream is up to us. How we dream is as important as what we dream. For the what of the dream knows itself through the how. <laughs>